it. We had around 6,300 or so in Christmas Eve worship this year. Uh, and if you don't know, that's by far our record attendance for Christmas Eve. First time over 6,000 in any worship experience we've ever had in our church. So we just, you can just applaud that. What a great evening it was. We had eight worship services and packed the sanctuary and beyond four different times in that time. Children, families, old and young together, just coming together and celebrating the birth of Christ. Very special season, so we wanted to mark that today. You heard the verses read. If, you're not, if, we, if we not met, I'm Pastor Mike Ransom. If you heard the verses read from Ezekiel, uh, this is a word that God gives to us about how the heart, the importance of the heart, uh, and what that means to have it undivided, and have it together and whole and good in what it should be, and how that's reflected in our life, and above all the words here where God would say, you'll be my people and I'll be your God. So as we kind of end one year, look forward to a new year, I want to reflect that a little bit, have you think about the heart with me, and I, I thought I'd begin with a kind of a simple illustration, and again, thanks for being here today. I know with the rain and the storms we had last night, and uh, you all came to church most of Christmas Eve. You've already been once. You're coming again. I'm so glad you're here. But uh, on Monday last week, I had, I had what's called a stress test, uh, which is where you test your heart and see how it's going. Well, we're going to kind of test our heart today in our own uh, journey, the spiritual side of it. But I'm going to illustrate that with a, the real heart. I have one of these every year. Uh, my doctor calls and says, hey, show up. And so I did that on Monday. How many have had a stress test, a heart stress test? Uh, how many are going to have one one day? How many want to have one? That ever had? No, no not, nobody wants to have one. Uh, but the way it works is that you walk in the door. And it's pretty simple. Your heart's beating. You got that figured out because you're able to walk in the door. So, so far, so good, right? Uh, then they start hooking things up to you and look at your heart, kind of a sonogram kind of thing. And they're looking at all kinds of stuff in there. And they have you on it, get on, put you on a treadmill where they start where you walk very slow, kind of flat, and as time goes on, they begin increasing the speed and raising the elevation of it. So you're climbing up the side of, you know, a mountain, a mountain uh, and, and running on the thing. Uh, to, and they're watching your heart all this time, you know, looking at all little, little numbers, I don't know what. And I'm going to actually read for you the results that I got in the mail this week of that stress test. This is going to be really fun. I know you're excited anticipating this. And, uh, it's really all that not because you, you probably, unless you're a doctor, you won't understand what these things mean. Echocardiogram, HP, EF, 60 to 65%, normal cardiac chamber dimensions with normal LV systolic function, no resting regional wall motion abnormalities detected, no significant vacular abnormalities on 2D or Doppler exam. Stress echo, excellent effort tolerance, no symptoms. The left ventricle augments normally with exercise. No exercise induced regional wall motion, abnormalities detected. Negative stress echocardiogram for ischemia, probably not pronouncing that correct. Pre-EF 60-65%, post-EF 80-85%, duration 13 minutes, percent of max HR 99.37%. I don't know how they figured that out, but they did. That's the maximum heart rate. And some other sinus, Brady, Interval, Axis, QX, this stuff that, you know, that's meaningless to me. But, you know, now the interesting part is after I did the test, a doctor came in and visited with me. And he said, basically, you're fine. And so all that is saying that I'm fine, I guess. I'll see you next year. So here's my question. 
Are you fine? Are you fine? Are you okay? Is your heart okay? Especially, most significantly, in the sight of your God who created in you. I'll read for you again just a couple of verses from the Ezekiel text, written to a people that weren't doing very, very well at all. Their hearts were not right. Their hearts were not good. Uh, they had fallen far from God who loved them and created them, and a God they no longer loved. And so here's what God says to them. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. So how is your heart? How are you with your God? How are you in faith? How are you in your soul? How are you in how you're viewing a new year? With hope? With enthusiasm? Anticipation? With God? Wherever we with those things. Jesus uh, said these words to his disciples many years later. He said them to them when they were afraid and worried and they were anxious about what was about to happen. He said this in John chapter 14. I will ask the Father... He will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. I want you to see two things in that passage. The first is that it will be the spirit of truth. What is true? The truth of God in our lives, in our world, in our experience, in our spirit and souls. And he will teach you everything. He will teach you. You will learn. You will grow. You will expand who you are. You will know more about God. You'll give more of yourself to God. All the things that Jesus taught. And he taught all kinds of things. And he continued to teach in all those who say, my heart is open to your teaching today. Which is what life really is. And so he asked the question again, how is your heart? How is your heart? Well, there are several things I want to look at today. This is kind of a teaching sermon today uh, rather than the normal one that I preach. So I'd love to have you follow along in your message page. Take notes if you'd like. You don't have to do that, but it is a resource for you if you'd care to use that today. And uh, these are simply teaching points related to what we've already said today. The first one is if if our heart is whole and healthy, if it's what God wants it to be, we walk by faith in God and not by sight. We walk by faith in God and not by sight. Now, let me say the power of the Christian life is the faith we have in God. Now, exactly what is that? Not what we see. We're always going to see a changing world around us. Every day is going to be a dynamic change happening. Whether it be weather comes in that frightens us, whether it be things that take place in the world we live in that frighten us, Whether it be our own trip to the doctor saying, let me look at you and see how you're doing that may frighten us, or simply the anxiety and fear that drive most people. And I I can say that again. I think anxiety and fear drive most people. In my own life, I have to be careful. As a young man, my greatest fear was fear of failure. And it wasn't wasn't trying to be successful. I didn't want to fail, and I'll do whatever it took to to succeed because I didn't want to fail. I I was scared to death to fail. We all have things we're afraid of. Everybody has them. But we're told to walk by faith. 
Now, what does that mean? Faith means my heart, so talking about the heart, right? My heart is drawn to God. My heart is drawn to God. Now, for whatever reason, you come to church this Sunday morning on a rainy, cold, bad weather day, uh, typically in between Christmas and New Year's, is not our highest attended Sunday. As you probably noted when you came in the door, I have no problem finding a parking place today, am I right? Uh, you got in the door with no difficulties. Uh, that's this day, it always is. And when you add rain and cold weather to it, you multiply that. But you got here. Something got you here. You know, I believe that we are, faith is, I'm drawn toward God. doesn't mean that I'm a person who has everything figured out or knows everything or I've got the faith that's, that's monstrously huge and I'm unshakable. It doesn't mean any of those things. It means the God I trust is monstrously unshakable. The God that I trust is one that I can trust because I believe he loves me. That's the kind of faith we're talking about, being drawn toward God, and in that place, building that type of relationship with God where that defines the health of our heart, the health of our life. My heart's good. I have a walk with God. My heart's not good because I've lost God or I'm, I'm, I'm no longer walking with God the way that I, I want to. Well, secondly... This heart that's working and healthy, it's a love for what God and who God loves. Love for what, and I'll add, and who God loves. And I believe for a long time uh, that if faith is the power of the Christian life, love is the motivation. And there's no motivation in life, there's not really any life at all. There's motivation that moves us, that moves us day by day is what really moves us into the future that helps us enjoy life the way that, way that we want to and God wants it to. So it's a love for what God loves. Now, what does that mean? Uh, we had a lady in our church that I knew many years ago and uh, actually ended up eventually doing her, worship, her, her funeral services. Uh, her name, uh, I won't tell you her name, uh, but she played the piano years ago for the church, uh, played for many, many years for the church. Reached the time as age went on that she couldn't do that in, any longer. Uh, she had Parkinson's disease as well and couldn't really do much of anything toward the end of her life. In fact, some of us would go to her house and sing Christmas carols, and she'd always have cookies made for us. Uh, kind of lived in the country and had grown up as a country lady, and her husband had been a farmer before he passed away, and that's her journey. And, and, and I knew something about her family. I knew she loved her family. She loved her kids. Uh, she loved her grandchildren because moms and grandmas love their kids and love their grandkids. They do, and that's how they see them. She saw her kids and her grandkids simply as people that she loved. That's how it works. Well, a couple years ago, I went to, with our church family to do some homeless ministry in, in Fort Worth. We do on occasion. Uh, I went and actually led the Christmas worship, told the Christmas story there with our homeless ministry that many of you have been a part of. And I enjoyed doing that on occasion uh, and did that that year. And while there, uh, this man came up, probably in his 40s, to visit with me, and that happens a lot. These are homeless people, and you look around you, here's homeless people. Uh, and they're here to get a meal. Uh, they're here maybe to have someone say, we care about you. They're here to be part of Christmas service and all kinds of reasons that they are there. Uh, and you kind of see them that way. And it's hard not to see them any other way, to recognize there's more to people than just they are homeless, and who knows how they got to where they are. Uh, and this young man, younger man, younger than I was, came up to me and he says, I know you, 
Really? Say, you did my mother's, my, my grandmother's funeral. Uh, and he told me, I'm so-and-so's grandson. And immediately, he was different to me. He looked different. He seemed different. How I felt about him was different. Our conversation was different because I could see him for a moment through his grandmother's eyes. His grandmother loved him. I know she did. She cared about him. She worried about him. She was there when he was born uh, to see this, this little baby in her life and her family's life. She was there through all the, 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 the passages of his life and there toward the end when she worried about him, I'm sure, because of the decisions and things that he had done. You know, I think that when we are able to see others through the eyes of God who loves everyone, it changes not only our relationships, but changes us dramatically. A healthy Christian heart is I can see other people through the eye of the way God sees them. And that is a remarkable thing to do. It takes a lot of work and effort. It takes being very focused to be able to do that because we isolate ourselves from others automatically. This is this group, that group, that group, and here's my group. It's a natural thing to do. If you're a Cowboy fan, hey, you're probably not a Redskin fan, right? Now, you don't have to comment on that, but we automatically do that. It's the way that we are. Uh, I, I was hoping that Lake Ridge was going to be able to win the, uh, you know, the state championship. And, and, and someone who used to go to our church, who lived in our community here, who, who rooted for these teams, had moved to Austin. And they put on Facebook how wonderful it was that that Austin team beat our team. Wait a minute, you can't do that. You know? That's the way we automatically are. It takes a God connection to step outside of that. And to be able to see all people in the world, our neighborhood, our church, and our community the way God does. And that is the kind of heart he's looking for. That he wants to write and change. this undivided, that his whole heart connected with him. And that's a love for what God loves. Well, thirdly, it's a yearning to know and experience God. A yearning to know and experience God talked about it before here, but I believe everyone has that somewhere deep within, but we can, we, can, we can surely isolate that or ignore that or not pay attention to it. And yet that's there for us to have this sense of, I want to experience God in my life. And that's a change when we often think about our Christian faith, which is, I have a God who can perform the way that I want God to perform. Uh, he can, he'll do what I want him to do, act the way that I want him to act, Help where I want him to help. Leave me alone the rest of the time. We may not verbalize it that way, but that's often how we view our walk with God. And here we're talking about a different way of looking at life where I thirst just to walk with God, as I've said on occasion, where walking with God becomes my highest value, nothing better than that. Just God with me, me walking with God in that place of comfort and security and peace, it comes from a yearning to know and experience God. And to foster that uh, and, to, and to build that, that's what worship is about. Worship that place we come together and say, I want to experience God in worship. Experience God in a gift or in a prayer or being present, focusing, making that decision to do that. Well, number four, the thirst for righteousness and holiness. A thirst for righteousness and holiness. Now, what is that? That makes it so important. I believe that is a thirst for fellowship with God. I cannot just thirst for 
friendship with God without thirsting for the very core nature of God. And God's nature is holy and righteous. So if I want to thirst for God and walk with God, have friendship with God, I've got to want to be and live in holiness and righteousness. Jesus said it this way in the Beatitudes. He said, blessed are they that thirst after righteousness. He very simply said it. He clearly defined that. Oh, yes, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. And he talked about that being very much the heart that God has. And we connect with that heart of God. Therefore, we're understanding. So that's what God's looking for. And if I don't care about holiness in my own life, I cannot have the fellowship with God that I want to have. God's still merciful. God still hears our prayers. God still forgives our sin. God still accesses heaven for us by the work of the cross, the good news of the church. But I will never, ever have this friendship with God that I want to have until I want to reach out to the holy nature of God and how I live my own life and experience my own relationship with God. And that is paramountly important and way too neglected by most Christians and by the church today. So you have to hear that to really go further in what it is to have a healthy, whole heart. Well, next one here is, it's a desire to keep God's commandments. A desire to keep God's commandments. Uh, And I'm not talking about keeping God's commandments. It's It's a desire. I want to keep the commandments of God. I want to do that because of my love for God, God's love for me, my decision about how I want to live my life. A desire to keep God's commandments. Jesus said it this way. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's not beating around the bush, is it? That's pretty specific. He says, hey, if you don't keep my commandments, I'm going to jump on you and your life's going to be a mess. No, he didn't say that. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That's all I want. It's good for you, blessing to you, blessing to me. Do that. Uh, And he talked at that same passage about a couple commandments. He talked about the great commandment, which is one he really reiterated from the Old Testament, but also continually talked about, I want you to love God, I want you to love your neighbor. That's what he told people to do. If you love me, You'll love God too, and you'll love your neighbor. And then he also mentioned several of the Ten Commandments. Don't commit adultery. uh, Don't bear false witness. Don't steal. Don't covet. He talked about those as well. He said, if you love me, you'll do. You'll you'll, you'll put your heart into. This is what you'll want for yourself. This is what you will try to obtain in your life. It's what you'll try to achieve and accomplish and possess and even consume in your journey as a follower of Jesus Christ. It's a desire to keep God's commandments. The next one is having a grateful and humble attitude. A grateful and humble attitude. I think with this one, we are never more like Jesus than when we are humble. We are never more like God's son on this earth. For Philippians says, he considered equality with God a thing not to be grasped, but made himself a servant. He had the right, of course, to be served. Instead, he chose to serve. Humility was his way. So we are never more like Jesus than when we are humble in all the ways humility is reflected in our life. And it's hard to do. It's hard to do. On Christmas Eve uh, this year, uh, as I said, we had well over 6,000 people in worship. And I love Christmas Eve worship. I love that time when uh, Pastor David preached to four services, and I, I preached to four services as well. Uh, 8 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11.30 on Christmas Eve. I love doing that. 
And, you know, every preacher likes preaching to lots of people. Why would you not like doing that? I mean, it's great. Tell people about Jesus and God loves them. It's Christmas, you know, and everybody smiles typically, and you do all those kind of things. So you love doing that. But, you know, if I look at the high points of my ministry, it's not that. And, of course, that only happens once a year anyway. So that's my high point. It doesn't happen very often. You know, we're talking about humility and what that means. I remember being in in, uh, Zimbabwe, our very first mission trip. Uh, there for Zoe Ministry. Uh, your offering on Christmas Eve will go toward that. We've given over a million dollars to Zoe Ministry so far in the years past up to today. We don't know what that offering is yet. I can guess what it is. It'll be a lot. You're a very generous church. Uh, you love serving God in the unique way of offering blessings to people, to kids in, in Africa and other places. We're excited about going beyond that now to Guatemala uh, as well as uh, India to a three, three continents we will serve through Zoe Ministry and significant, significant giving and life change for people. My first trip, though, one of the things that we did then was we were, we were just beginning to give. And so at that time, we were only giving really food to starving kids. And so this was a food mission, and we were there also for medical resources as well. Uh, and I remember being there, and the food showed up. It comes in, in big bags. Uh, this is what they ate every day. The only food most of the kids had was one meal a day, what was called, they called porridge. It's a very English influence in that part of Zimbabwe, so they called it porridge. Uh, and it had some peanut butter in it as well as some other food sources. It's supposed to be a, a 100% nourishment that you needed to, to survive, which is really all that it was. And when it came in, I got to go over there and help carry that food in to the, the very rustic kitchen. I remember every bag that I carried. And after a while, the kids wouldn't let me carry anymore. They kept taking the bags from me. You know, they wanted to do it instead, you know, so I let them finally do that. But, but every bag I carried, I thought, now this is real. This is real here. You know, to be able to be this, just, just carrying something that's going to feed somebody else. That, that sense of humility reflected in that kind of way is life-changing, heart-changing, soul-changing. And we make that decision to live that way as well. We're becoming, again, we're never more like Jesus than we are humble. You think about all the ways humility can be reflected in your life. Next one, much like this one, there's a willingness to put others ahead of ourselves. If a grateful and humble attitude is being like Jesus, then a willingness to put others ahead of ourselves is pure discipleship. And the word discipleship means to be a follower. We are disciples of Jesus Christ. If you're not, hope you'll make that decision. Make him your savior today and say, I'm going to follow Jesus. You'll make no better choice in life than that one. Made it long ago, never regretted for one second choosing to follow Christ. It's willing to put others ahead of ourselves. This is pure discipleship. If you see life that way, then it's unending what your life can be and do. In the same way, in that same truth, it reflects how we experience God ourselves and the health of our own heart that so easily dies, so easily wears down, so easily loses the ability to to help us live the way God calls us to live, pure discipleship. I hear people sometimes say to me, well, I don't feel called really to do that. And they'll have something that they're not, they feel like they're not called to do, uh, which I know typically means one thing, I don't want to do it. You know, if someone says, I don't feel called to do that, that means I don't want to do it. 
or it means I've never done it. So it's outside my frame of reference. I don't see that part of the world. I don't see those type of behaviors. I don't see that way of dealing with someone. I don't see that connection with the church. I've missed that. And so here I am without that when it could be if we recognize what it is to put other people ahead of ourselves. Free-willing sin just might be personal benefit and pleasure over anyone else's need or value. So think with me what that might mean for you. Free-willing sin just might be personal benefit and pleasure over anyone else's need or value. If that's the case, then righteousness just might be putting the benefit of others and the will of God over our own. Let's just serve and put others ahead of ourselves. You know, one of the things we did many years ago was we gave people uh, who, who wanted to a, 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 a test that they could discover the gifts of the Spirit they had. And there are many gifts of the Spirit the Bible lists, uh, fruits of the Spirit as well, but many gifts they, that, that are listed. And uh, people would take the test and we'd say, okay, you're, you're this one A and you're this one too and you're a little of this one and that's your gifts. And after a while I thought, I don't like that test and we quit doing it. For one thing, when I took it, I always came out the same way. I came out as a pastor and preacher, you know, well, and a teacher. Well, of course, it's what I do, you know. But if I took that test when I was 19, I wouldn't have come out that way. I would have come out anything but that because I never had tried it. Until I actually experienced God using me in a particular way, I have no idea I really have the gift at all. But we find ourselves typically limiting how we relate to the world we live in in the kingdom of God because we do that automatically and we don't allow God to use us for more and more. Uh, after about the 10th the, the test where someone worked in an office and they came up with administration as their only gift, I began to realize well, that's what they do, so it's going to show up as a gift every time. But I know that these people have more gifts than that. But they didn't know. They never tried it, never thought they could do it, never imagined connecting that way. And so we have to be able to see other people in such a way that it calls us, pulls us, moves us outside our, and you've heard the word before, outside our comfort zone. Or even worse, outside our habits. Because we live by comfort zone and habits and routine, expectation, sometimes easy. And so we miss what could be if we listen to God and let God work in our life. Well, the last one is, it's a very important one, is having a soft and pliable heart. A soft and pliable heart. If you heard me mention the testing, part of being able to have a heart that works is, 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 is it is soft. It's still able to, to beat and pump and all stuff it's supposed to do. A heart damage makes part of the heart be, get, get hard where it cannot do that any longer, or at least the way that it could or should or used to. I think the spiritual heart's the very same way. I think that's why the heart is being talked about uh, in these words in Ezekiel. It's having a soft and pliable heart. What does that look like for you? Uh, when I was a, a brand new, young, 20-year-old Christian, I went to church. And I will tell you, I did not have a soft heart before that. Uh, that's not the way my brother and I are wired. It's not the way that we were at all in how we function. I have a twin brother, and we're very much the same way in that respect. 
Uh, we'd gone to church most of our life uh, growing up, had not been for a few years while I was in the military until I came to Christ and I began to go. This is that Sunday I'm going to talk about going to church that day. Uh, but uh, we had grown up in a Methodist church and done the chapel thing on base as well. My dad was in the, in the military, so we experienced that a lot. And I had a friend who went to church, and he said, let's go to church, and will you go with me? And I said, sure, I'm ready to go. I mean, I'm ready. I didn't know what to expect. And he took me to a little country Pentecostal church in Georgia. Now, does anybody here know exactly what that means? Pentecostal church in Georgia many years ago in the country. A few may know what that means. A few know what that means. Now, by the way, that's serious church, by the way. This is a real serious church, you know. But I walked in the door, and I said, hey, whatever. I'm ready for whatever, you know. Uh, I, you know, and, and that's hard to do. It's hard to say, whatever, God. We usually don't do that. We usually say, hey, I got it all figured out, God. I know all the answers. I have my theology worded out. I know how I relate to other people. I know what I'm supposed to do and not supposed to do. I know where I'm supposed to sit and not supposed to sit. Please don't sit in my seat, please. We know those things. But to be able to say, whatever, God, I said, I'm ready. So I walked in there, uh, and first it was kind of, kind of crazy And uh, what uh, all the people greeting me. that was a very small church. They didn't see guests very often. And so being a young guy walking in the door, they thought, hey, it was like they just consumed this young guy who's there, you know, in this older church. It was mostly older people in that church family. Uh, and then we started the service. Uh, and then the pastor said, Let's, we're going to pray. And then we bowed our head. And I was ready for the prayer. I knew how to do that. I went to church. You, you go like this. And when it's your turn, and when, 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 it, when you, people pray, you listen. And you try not to fall asleep. Try to avoid that part. That's, this is a 16-year-old guy thinking, you know. And then you put your head up, and then you're, then, you can, then, you're, then you're done with the prayer. And everybody in that church prayed out loud together at the same time. All, maybe 70 people, were all praying out loud. And not a little bit. They were praying out loud, very loud. Screaming, I thought. Yelling and, and carrying on. And, and there were people speaking in not just... Georgia lingo, they're speaking other lingo that I had never heard before, and that's happening in church there too, you know, and I'm thinking, this is kind of, kind of wild, you know, but, but you know, I, I, uh, whatever God, whatever, you know, uh, my heart's open, I, whatever God you want to do, I, I, I'd come to Christ, this is a part of that, so I went, I remember when we left that church some months later, they transferred our entire military base, so we had to leave, uh, that they had a big cake, uh, that they had made it for my last Sunday, and it said, the, the, the Lord giveth and the Navy taketh away. <laughs> it's a soft and pliable heart. And I remember a couple years ago going to England. Uh, the, some of you here went to England with us, and we enjoyed doing that. We went with the choir. We sang lots of places. It was kind of interesting to sing in some really old, old Gothic extremely gothic churches that had drums and guitars and screens at the front of those old gothic churches. But we also, though, sang uh, or were part of a service at, at York, York Minster Cathedral there. Uh, and it's one of these services where uh, it's in the Book of Common Prayer, and they read the prayers and sing these kind of chants and read the prayers, sing the chants, you know. The, 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 the opposite of that little church in Georgia, the opposite don't say anything. Don't look at people around you. Don't act like you're uh, 
be as invisible as possible, and just think about God. Just think about God, you know. I remember that too, you know, and I, and I said, I'm going to be open for this because that's not my nature to be focused that well. I mean, I'm not a great focuser. Uh, my wife is saying, you're right about that. Uh, <laughs> What did you say, Rhonda? I don't remember. I know you, you tried to communicate. But, I, but anyway, uh, you know, I, and I remember God touching my heart there in that very quiet, very calm, what are they saying and what is that prayer? And I'm not sure I understand all the words, you know, but they sing really good, you know, and, and I got that part. And, and I remember how God, you know, we're talking about a soft and pliable heart, which is not how most of us live our life. Because that's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to say, God might say something I've never heard before. God might change something I don't want to be changed. God asked me to do something I don't really want to do. God might move me to a place that I won't, don't want to be. Yet that's where God works in our life, in that soft and pliable heart. And I would think that if there's anything that hits most of us where our hearts may not be as healthy We'd like them to be. It's that place. Because it's so easy just to kind of get it all hard and in its place. Here's what I believe. Here, here's what I think. Here's what I like. And here's what I don't like. Which is how most people live. They live by what they like and what they don't like. Not by God's will. And God's call, which is how the Christian's call to live and leads us to the exciting, amazing, beautiful life that we can experience in marriages and families and friendships and neighborhoods and communities and where we live in. And to celebrate that in the ways that God calls to do that. So I go back to the original premise for the message today, and I, I read for you the, the stress test results, which, which there's, if there's, any, there's a doctor or two in service today I see out there, so you know what I'm talking about. Uh, the rest probably don't. I know a couple things there I didn't know before, but I don't care. I mean, the doctor told me I'm fine. He said, you're fine. You're fine. Keep taking your five medications. So, okay. Does that mean I'm, am I really that? So anyway, I keep taking those five medications. Um, but, you know, I'm giving you some stuff today, uh, some things I think Jesus teaches, the Bible teaches that you probably want, uh, but you have to listen. You have to decide if you're going to follow through on what's being taught. You want your heart to be healthy, growing, mature, as what Ezekiel said, undivided but whole, where God writes on your heart himself, his laws, his holiness, his goodness, his love. What life can't be if you choose to accept that. Will you bow with me in prayer, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you today for the words you give us in this Christmas season. We just celebrated the birth of your Son and God to have a Savior come to us and come into our life and our world and our hearts. God, we are ever grateful. So we've come drawn to celebrate that here today on this Sunday after Christmas. We also, God, hear the words you speak to us today and uh, about what our heart could be and the reality is probably what it is. So we ask you, God, to, to wash that and make it new and form and shape it with the spirit of truth. With the commandments that you would give us, what you would write on our heart and teach us. Life might be what you want it to be. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.